Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Pad up. It's the Australian Cricket Podcast. And here are your hosts. Welcome back to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel, a.k.a. Menas. And joining me this week, let me firstly welcome back an old friend, freelance cricket journalist, commentator, tragic and regular panellist. Welcome back, Gav Joshi. How, How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good. It's been a long summer, but I've really enjoyed it. I've missed being on the show, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you're doing the hard work and you've got plenty of listeners. That's good to hear. Yeah, we've missed you. You've been uh, in, in on the inside at Cricket Australia and we've caught you before you head off to Dubai for the training camp. So excellent effort. I'm looking forward to your insight. And we have now a new panellist making her debut on the Australian Cricket Podcast. Brittany Carter is a sports journalist for ABC Grandstand. She is a producer and co-host of the Ladies Who Leg Spin podcast. She plays cricket, she commentates (laughs) on cricket, and she certainly fits the bill as a cricket tragic Welcome to the show, Brittany Carter. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. How are you coping with the BBL blues, the end of season BBL blues? <laughs> I'm coping okay, to be honest. Uh, Gav and I were talking a little bit before we started recording and sort of saying how it's been a very long summer and it's not over yet. But yeah, it's, it's good to have a little bit of a break, to be honest, also. Yeah, I'm feeling a bit flat today, just after it's all over, you know, the the frenetic part of the cricket season has come to an end and now we just sort of have to pick up the pieces, don't we? Yeah, and I think that's interesting too because we've got cricket on today, don't we? So the fact that we're all feeling a bit flat is interesting that we're now, whether we're actually paying attention to this New Zealand Well, the highs of the big bash compared to the the Chapel Hadley Trophy, it's a big big change in energy levels, especially here. Yeah, the scheduling's going to be so important over the next couple of years and just going forward because how do you fit in the one-day formats into the big bash, who plays? That's going to be always the topic of discussion as we go ahead and just the emergence of big bash, though. It's fantastic. Would you like to see the ODIs in January stop so we could get the Australian stars 
playing in the Big Bash? Yeah, I think so. I think maybe there's a 20-day you know, window, uh, maybe, or even just a 15-day window, where almost the second phase of the Big Bash, if we can call it that, last four games or three games, where... After you know, the test finish, Yeah, after the Sydney test match, where we get the Warners and the Smith playing in the competition. And then again, around maybe start the one-day series again on Australia Day um, in Adelaide. I mean, maybe get a different team out here because I just felt like we've seen it happen. If it's a long tour, Pakistan struggled in the test series. And once they do that, they just want to be on a plane home. And it just doesn't have that same sort of feel um, you want to move the one-days one to before the test matches and then uh, have the, the best players in Australia available for the um, Big Bash. Yeah, it's going to be hard, man. I mean, uh, uh, Cricket Australia have also announced there's going to be that extra games next year with the Big Bash. So trying to play nine games, can we find our own window? <laughs> it's hard. What do you think, Britt? Do you want to see the, the best stars in the Big Bash? I think so, to be honest. And, I mean, I also want to see the stars that are signed in the Big Bash stay in the Big Bash. We saw Chris Lynn removed to play cricket for Australia and then injured himself and couldn't play for the Heat. And I think that they really suffered as a result of that. I think they were huge final contenders and they probably would have beaten Perth, to be honest, if they had him in the side. And the Melbourne So that was disappointing. Well. Yeah, completely. Completely. So, I mean, if you're a traditionalist, you probably wouldn't um, have the same sort of view as that. But I love the Big Bash and I want to see this, the best of the best in it. Yeah. Well, it, is, it has taken centre stage in the last few weeks of cricket so we're going to wrap up the bbl and the wbbl we've also got gab's take on the indian tour i've been <laughs> desperate to get your take because it's almost like your heritage and your heart playing out on the cricket field so a very strong investment for gab there and then we've got i've got the commentary critique with a special a few questions for brit and then we'll wrap it up with a new segment on the podcast but let's start with the finals day in the Big Bash. It was a Scorchers Sixers double header. How did you guys enjoy the whole day? I actually had something on that day which was very poorly planned (laughs) because after watching the whole season you think that I would have planned myself a bit better to have a free day but uh, I I was at a, a hen's night actually funny enough and um, every they time too keen to watch <laughs> no the they were not but every time we popped into a pub I made sure there was a TV close so I caught glimpses of it which was pretty good and kept my eye on the scorecard otherwise uh, but how fantastic having a double header uh, about whether you decide to have them both at the same ground or at different grounds in the future is a big talking point I think um, but I saw lots of my friends having barbecues you know all their families were set up for the day in front of the TV maybe a swim in between the two games and that was fantastic so I, I think it was a really good day. I think it's fast becoming one of the best days of cricket on the Australian calendar it's almost you just want to block that finals oh. day off now to watch both Does games. it overtake Boxing Day though? No, I didn't say the best, but oh, one right. of the best. One, one of, of the best, best right. You know? I'm with you there. It's, yeah, it's yeah. almost a day you have to block off next time any hens invites. Just <laughs> through it and say, yeah, we're not friends anymore. Should we move the Big Bash final to Australia Day then? Why not? Why not? That's I mean, a fantastic idea. So you're going to have the double header. It's a day off. But I guess it goes about home advantage. Then it might get pulled away from Adelaide. They might not be happy with it. But, I mean, why not? I mean, 26th. I think you get a lot more spectators. Everyone's going to be at home. I think the challenge probably was, because the game was played in the West, the women had to play at 10.45, which I thought was a little bit harsh. But that's just the way how the 
you know, the TV programming works. You had to sort of cater for the Eastern... Um, time zone. Or, uh, time zone, exactly. So I would like to see the gap reduced a little bit as well. I mean, yeah, there I was about two, yeah. and a half, two and a half hours. Maybe during the World T20 this year or last year in India, the difference was only about an hour. So what actually happened, even in the Southern Stars games around January last year, there's only about an hour and a half break. So potentially we're getting about 3,000 people. We could get about ten or 12,000 people for the last, at least the last 10 overs for the women's game. Mm-hmm. Well, I think they're working towards that. And yeah. I think Anthony Everard, the BBL Chief, is aware of that. I know on your the podcast, Ladies Who Legspin, you talked about, Britt, perhaps making them double headers on TV but not mm-hmm. at the ground. Yeah. And I think the WBBL final could almost be a standalone event. I mean, if you've been in Sydney on the weekend, I, get, I bet they would have got a decent crowd out there. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure about – I agree that it, it can be a standalone event, but I do love the factor in that double header day as well. So, I mean, that was something I was talking to Adam Collins, a good friend um, who's obviously – He's been on the show before. Yeah, he's <laughs> a bit of a cricket nuffy too. But I just think that – there was a lot of discussion about, you know, the pitch and whether the women were ruining the men's pitch. And that went off a bit on Twitter with Mark Wall making comments about that. And I think that he didn't actually mean it in the fact of men versus women. He just meant that obviously the first 20 or 40 overs you play on a pitch are going to be the best. And that's just the way it is. So whether you look at putting the women at their own boutique sort of ground like North Sydney, where the Sydney Sixers, yeah. that's their home ground, uh, and give the home team an actual chance to get their fans there and, and have a bit of an event there as well and then use it as a double header on TV rather than the same ground. I think that's a good talking point and something that Cricket Australia can look at I think years they to come. In the next couple yeah, of years. I think, I think it'll happen. I mean we've got to remember that when WBBL kicked off last year and this year, it was almost sort of in almost an experiment mode to see how big it can get. And mm-hmm. now the results are there to be seen. So it's the next step forward now when it comes to scheduling, you know, WBBL three and Forcer, and they'll I think they'll organise that in a better form where I think the women will also get to play at you know the the big five test venues because I know a lot of the the girls actually love they being do. in the dressing they rooms do, at yes. the SCG because they've heard about it and they like to go out there and playing in you know the traditional stands or the the New Year's Day game in front of the at the MCG. They they really want to take that in. The it's only about thing that mix I. Right. Sorry, the only thing that I have, that I think in terms of the final is that they they do love playing at those huge grounds and they absolutely deserve to because they are elite cricketers. But at the same time, if you've ever been to a lot of the games and sat there, if you go to the SCG and watch a women's game, there's not that many people. Once they're dispersed, it seems like there's not that many people there and the atmosphere lacks as a result. And plus with the boundary uh ropes in a slightly because of physical size of the ground north sydney because it's a smallish ground yeah you know and and the girls are hitting the ball a long way like they're actually gardner hit one out of the ground at oh, north sydney over a couple incredible. of times so. yeah perry hit one over the fig tree but let's <laughs> let's review that um final that final day so i don't think you can often say that the two best teams won the comps but in this case the scorches were the mess the best men's team and the Sixers were the best women's team and they both won the competition. In the BBL, the Scorchers sent the Sixers in and restricted them to 141 and then they sailed home on the Fremantle Doctor by nine (laughs) wickets with almost five overs to spare. And it's fair to say that Mitchell Johnson was the main star of the Scorchers' surge to the title. I'll give you these figures. In his last 12 overs in the competition, he took six for 31. How great was it to see him back? 
Oh, it was fantastic. And I mean, leading up to that final match in the semis, he took three for three. I think they were the yeah. best figures we've ever seen in the Big Bash. So it's incredible to have him back in. And I think one for the bowlers too, because they're always complaining how it's a batter's game these days. To have him perform and almost, I think he was close to being player, their player of the series, really. They would be happy with that. Yeah, amazing the way he was able to rattle both the... Um, the Melbourne Stars. Yeah, rattle the Stars and the Sixers at the top of the order. So with his pace, they really looked out of the competition. It's that fast bowling sort of... That's why you want to go watch fast bowlers at the ground, you know, because they're, they're quick and they just... It brings the crowd into the game. You see them clapping hands as Mitchell Johnson's run. And Australian national teams probably miss that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, Mitch Stark is there, but he's a different kind of bowler. He's just not the intimidating factor that Mitchell Johnson was. As we saw two years ago, he in tries that to be, but he's just that, not that. Yeah, yeah, he's just not the same. So um, that, it was great to see him back. And I, I mean, you know, the Scorchers fans, geez, then they packed that out. And I think <laughs> might get to those sixty, seventy thousand when they move across to the new stadium next uh, next summer. The Scorchers have a phenomenal record. They've won what four, but three BBL titles, three of the last four. They've hosted four of the six uh, finals. I wonder what the secret is to their success. One thing is they don't have a lot of overseas players. Do you think that's a, a crucial factor in keeping their Western Australian people together? Oh, definitely, because Lee, obviously they're playing Sheffield Shield leading up to the Big Bash, and it's something that in the women's game, um, Tasmania and Hobart really benefit from having that tight-knit group playing together before the Big Bash starts. I think some of the other reasons um, are also to do with the fact that the Wacker is such a hard place to play at, and... I mean, Perth would be travelling every second game, so they're used to that flight, whereas other teams maybe not used to the, the five hours that it takes to get there. And then coming out on a, a scorching hot day, <laughs> pardon the pun, for the scorchers, um, you know, it, it's a really tough place to play at, and I think that's a big factor. Yeah, they've certainly turned the furnace into a huge home ground advantage. I wonder if the Perth Stadium will have the same advantage. Yeah, I'm not sure Fremantle Doctor's going to get into that stadium. <laughs> no, the stands are quite tall, yeah. aren't they? So might miss that aspect of the, the cricket over in Perth as well. There will be no Fremantle Doctor. No. And, and what will Channel 9 talk about? <laughs> but I Warnie think will talk about himself. Once you ha- once you think of those factors and of how hard it is to for them to to you know fly, I don't know how many times they fly a week, at least once or twice a week, and to play at such a hard ground as their home ground, you'd think it'd set you up to play anywhere almost. Yes, a great effort by the Scorchers. Shouldn't forget the Sixers. I thought they had a really good season. They looked halfway through the comp that it could go either way for the Sixers, Mm. but they surged into the final. And despite being disappointing in the final, I thought a good season for them and uh, well led by Henriques. And probably last time we'll see Haddon running around, one of the great servants of Australian cricket. Yeah, it's interesting because he's actually the assistant coach at with the Australian team at the moment. So playing that final on Saturday, I, there were some whispers that is he allowed to play because he was supposed to be in New Zealand as well. So going across from Perth, I think he must have got on the you know the red eye flight and come across to Sydney and packed up his bags and you know here he is he's coaching um, Australia it's today, isn't it? It's commitment. Yeah, yeah absolutely. One of the veterans goes out of the game. Now let's talk about the man of the series for the Big Bash. And I find this out amazing that he could only play five games, yet he was still named man of the series. I'm talking about Chris Lynn. He literally missed half the tournament and was still the clear favourite for the, the, the title. I mean, he, what an impression he made on everybody. 
Oh, my favourite moment of the series was when he hit a six onto the Gabba roof. That was phenomenal. And we had Trent Copeland on the ABC yesterday talking about him and how he was awarded player of the series. And he was saying, you've got to remember that not only is the public amazed by Chris Lynn, elite cricketers are amazed by Chris Lynn and the skill and timing that he puts into those shots. They're not big slogs all the time. You know, he really has a lot of skill behind a lot of those sixes. Yeah, and being able to just hit the ball consistently so hard, that's what amazes the other elite cricketers. Here are his figures. In five games, 309 runs at a lazy strike rate of 178 <laughs> with just 26 sixes in five innings. The Some other players don't hit 26 sixes their whole career. Yeah, and you spoke about consistency in the T20 format. You've got to remember, he was also the player of the BBL last year. So to be able to back that up again this year, it's phenomenal consistency, especially in T20 when a lot of people still feel it's a bit of a hit and miss game. And to show, and some of the, hit, the sixes, uh, you mentioned the six he hit on the roof. Uh, his attack over in Perth where he plummeted, I think, 10 or 11 sixes or something like that. It's just, that's 11. what the people love to go and watch because the ball keeps plenty of <laughs> crowd catches. <laughs> He reminds me a bit of Steve Waugh. He's got that steeliness about him, and he was very calm. Everyone when he... reminds you of Steve Waugh. <laughs> no, not everyone. Come on. I, I don't give that that out too easily. But the way he guided the Heat home at, at say, out at Spotless Stadium, when they looked out of the game, just he kept cool under pressure, which is well-paced. He's, he's a smart cricket brain. And, Gav, do you think he can be a star in all formats for Australia? Test, one day, T20? Well, he needs to be on the field. He keeps getting injured with his shoulder. I think he's only played one Sheffield Shield match over the last two or three years. So he gets injured at the wrong time. He's been injured during the Matador Cup, sadly. So he hasn't been able to reflect that form. When he was looking so good about two or three years ago, when there were a couple of vacancies in the middle order, unfortunately, the injuries and so forth had... And he also scored a double hundred for Queensland. His so, first-class average is 45, yeah, so it's very so good. Yeah, so it's just come at the wrong time for him. I think he's good enough. Um, he just needs to play more. Um, mm-hmm. And the only way he can do that is you know, stay fit. Unfortunately, it hasn't worked out for him. Yeah, we certainly haven't seen him perform quite yet in one the one-day format, but I think that's, as you said, because he's been injured, injured so much, yeah. And I think it doesn't help that we're constantly talking about it either. Like, surely that's pressure mounting on his back, whether he, he said that he wants to play test and uh, one-day internationals as well as the T20. So, yeah, it, it, I think you're right. I think he's just been injured a lot. And there's a if he's of- fit enough for these five Shield games now, yeah. that would be great for him to play some long cricket. And, and this set of expectations, just when he made, played in that Gabba one day, you know, I think 13th or even might have been the 10th ball and he's coming out to bat in the 15th or 16th over and he's whacked it over the top for six. So the <laughs> expectation of him. So he, it, it, it's a challenge for himself because people expecting him to hit sixes, but it's only in the 16th, 17th over where if he takes his time, he's going to score 130, 40, even you know, over 150. It's about patience, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Well, Chris Lynn is a hit in the BBL. The insanity is a hit on social media. So <laughs> I think he's here to stay. With the rapid success of the BBL, they've decided to expand the competition ne- next year and are adding eight more games. One of the, the points they've talked about is perhaps moving to regional centres for some of these games in the BBL. Now, I'm not happy about this perhaps 
uh, change and moving away from home ground. I think it's better off when you play at one home ground and you can make that a fortress. And I think that's better for your fans to feel really invested in the team that you can get to every game. So I don't like them moving to regional centres. Brick, do you think they should start to take the BBL into the country areas of Australia? Um, I think there's two ways you can look at it. I don't mind it in the fact that it, it does build your fan base elsewhere as well. And then you never know, they may travel the four hours or whatever it is. Um, but I do really like seeing the grassroots being able to to see that sort of stuff. Because, I mean, we, we laud the big bash as something that creates heroes and villains. And so to build those heroes and villains for kids out there, that's fantastic. I mean, it is a big kid product, isn't it? Um, but at the same time, I, I completely agree with your sentiments about having a home ground and everyone heading to the same place each week. So I, I agree with that too. I think there's two ways of doing this. I think if they stick to having the games at Sydney, Brisbane, all the... Lo- there's a potential. We've just seen the crowds not being so high for the one-day games. How about we take the Australian one-day games in January across to places like Geelong, Townsville. I've seen, when I've done so much cricket up in North Queensland, they're so patriotic out there. But they're This is a radical suggestion. Yeah, Townsville. The Australian ODI side playing at North Sydney Oval not against at North England. Sydney. Well, hang on. Regional centre. You're going... Talking about Central the, Coast, North, North Sydney of the ODI side <laughs> well, in the Central Coast. Well, think about it: the four thousand people well, turn up at, at Geelong. They've already got about ten thousand tickets sold for the T Twenty against Sri Lanka. Right when I did the Under Nineteen World Cup in about four years ago in Townsville for the final, they had six thousand people. Wow. At, it's an opportunity. Cans, cans. Why not? And well, they've got rugby league going there next year to change sports. Exactly. On you. So why not? Why don't we ex- either take Big Bash out there? Or I'm saying utilise it to have our you know our best players to play in those regional areas. Well, that's a radical suggestion. Not what I was expecting. Um, <laughs> well, if it works out, then, you know. Yeah, good. I you like heard it. it here first, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Aussie o- ODI side to go on a circus-like tour <laughs> around the country. <laughs> they pack up all their stuff in this big yeah. tent. <laughs> that was the ringleader. <laughs> now let's move on to the WBBL conclusion. The Sydney Sixers won their first... WBBL title after they made 5 for 124 and then restricted the Scorchers to 7 for 117. It was a great comeback in that match after looking short of runs and they were able to peg back the Scorchers in the chase. Alyssa Healy, the reluctant stand-in skipper, top scored for the Sixers in both the semi and the final. And Sarah Ailey took 4 for 23 in the final to rock the Scorchers batting lineup. And it was a sweet victory for the Sixers after losing the final to the Thunder last year. And Britt, this is what amazes me. New South Wales women are amazing at cricket. They've won 17 of the last 20 WNCL titles. Now the Thunder and the Sixers have won the first two two WBBL titles. It's quite extraordinary. I think it's actually 18 WNCL titles that New South Wales have won, but... I mean, Bad for, stats from no, Manus. you you can no, be good. forgiven because there's a lot of numbers happening there. <laughs> <laughs> no, Sydney women's grade cricket is honestly one of the strongest competitions in the world, and we've had players from England and New Zealand come and compete with us before and get ready for their international seasons, which just shows you how competitive it is. Another example of that is how many players we've seen that have had to move from New South Wales to other states to get a go in sides. The Tasmanian and Hobart side uh, for the Big Bash and the WNCL is made up of about 
about I think there's about five New South Wales players in there. I know and Renee. That's like the Shield. It's very similar. yeah, yeah, and even <laughs> and even like Renee Farrell. I remember she had to move to Western Australia before she was recognised, and then she could come back and play for the the New South Wales Breakers. So they're very very strong. Um, all of those players, and the fact that they're moving elsewhere means that the talent is dispersing, which is great. It was a thrilling final. The the men's final may not have lived up to expectations, but the the WBBL final really was a nail biter. I'm firmly a Sixers fan. I tried to be neutral, but <laughs> it lasted a couple of weeks. So my blood runs magenta, as I've said. And after 30 overs of the match, the score, Scorchers looked home. They were about one for 60. They looked like they were going to cruise to the victory. And then the experience of the Sixers, I think, really shone through. Sarah Ailey put the screws on with the ball and the Scorchers were just not able to get over the line. Yeah, Beth Mooney was given the WBBL player of the tournament, but Sarah Ali, I thought, was Oh, just, she made a strong case, didn't she? She was just phenomenal. Like, every time the Sixers needed a wicket, not just in the final, but just going throughout the season, she stood up, delivered. She was just amazing. I thought she was one of... I mean, she's very unlucky, not probably to get the player of the tournament. It generally happens in T20 cricket. You normally get the batters who tend to you know win those prizes but I thought she was really unlucky but the Sixers I mean they again started off so slowly during the WBBL but once it kicked into sort of just after Christmas they got seven a, on the trot at one stage yeah, yeah absolutely and and they've just got a great team and I mean without Elise Perry I mean most teams if you take the top player out especially in the WBBL you find that they've it's a really struggled good point. Yep. but not the Sixers I mean Alyssa Healy's captaincy and batting performance was outstanding. And I think she outshone Perry in some aspects too. Definitely. She's yeah. got a lot of power and I liked her sort of relaxed uh, nature when spoke to her after the semi-final. She was very... I just think that sort of nice relaxed persona flows on to the rest of the team and great victory and by the Sixers. And probably unearthed the best emerging cricketer in Ash Gardner. I mean, oh I think yeah, she was the other person I would have thought got torn- player yeah, of the tournament. Yeah, I think she came in second or third but the Southern Stars are heading over to New Zealand, I think, in a week's time. I think the team's getting announced in a couple of days. Um, and I think Ash Gardner definitely oh, has yeah. to go, go over there. Just- Sarah Ailey, just before we, we move on, um, I love talking about her because her summer has been absolutely stellar. I mean, she played her 100th game for New South Wales in the WNCL leading up to the Big Bash. And in that game, she played with a number of young guns that she'd actually coached. And I think it was an under-15s, under seventeen side. So she said, I felt very old. And I said, that's just, I, I'd like the word experienced a bit better. Um, but so she's done that. She's played with all these people that she's coached she's up to her level. job as well. Yeah. Yep. And now she took the most wickets in this, uh, this tournament. I think it was 28. Don't quote me yep, on that. I know it was, right, yep. oh, good. Because I know it was 24 leading into the final and four for 23 Strike would take you to 28. 12. So every 12 balls, she's taken. A wicket as yeah, well. and she won some really good games for them. Like I remember them playing the Scorchers at the SCG yeah. earlier in the tournament, and she hit back to back fours to That's win right. them the yeah. match. So lower batter order, uh, lower order batter, but yeah, a, a fantastic player. Now both of you watched the WBBL very closely. I know Gav was writing for cricket.com.au, so you watched every game almost. How much do you think the competition has come on since last year? Oh, Gav, I think this is interesting from you because you said you covered the, the World Cup in 2013. Yeah, when I covered the 2013 uh, Women's World Cup, just how, like there was a sense that, you know, the players can't hit the ball through the offside as much. But sort of in the moments of the WBBL, one of the 
best sixes hit was on that opening weekend by Harman Preet Kaur, which he went down over on cover. one knee. Yeah, yeah, and hit the ball over cover. And I saw um, Deandre Dotton hit one over cover at North uh-huh. Sydney Oval <laughs> on the first day. It was extraordinary. And we talked about the power hitting. I mean, there was a game played at Albury where Alex Blackball hit one out of the ground. Ash Gardner hit one over the roof at North Sydney Oval. So did Emma Inglis at one stage, actually. That's right, yeah. yeah. She put one on the roof. So you can just see the power game is developing. And Sophie Devine, who had a chat with, she says it's all the strength and conditioning that has been coming into the women's game as well. And they're doing a lot of range hitting. And that's come into the game over the last sort of you know two years where they actually practice not just in the nets, but they go out to the centre wicket and they try hit sixes and, you know, talk to different bowlers and try innovate. And that's what the game has really come about. Um, and you see a lot of skills as well. I mean, you know, we talked about Sarah Alley, her ability to bowl the slower ball. And it's just not, you know, the back of the hand. It's sort of the cutters. It's especially we see all these skills are really coming on. The I thought fielding improved a lot this season. Yeah, oh, yeah. absolutely. Out of sight. I mean, I thought some of the fielding was pretty ordinary last year, if we're being honest. But this year, the, the, the error count just nosedived they made so much less errors than they did last year and something we were talking about was about the drop catches and how you yep. don't actually see some of the really big players dropping the catches it might be a young gun that's still coming up through the ranks and we were at, i was reading a, a piece by jared kimber actually earlier this morning that was talking about the men's big bash and how we've come to expect mistakes are part of the game and we don't actually think oh you know they made so many mistakes they lost themselves the game we actually think oh that was a momentum shifter and it's just part of the game we've accepted that and i think that's true in the women's as well and you just saw the perfect example in the WBBL final where uh, Lauren Smith inflicted that brilliant underarm run out from mid-wicket and to get rid of Susie Bates, which was such a prize. And I'm pretty sure she dropped a catch not long before. Yeah, just yeah. before that. So, yeah. uh, you know, so, uh, look, women's game's definitely evolving. Mm. There's a lot more to it. Like, you just have to look at some of the tactics that go on. And so I was so impressed. And I think what's happening as well, this is the first time where you had teams and where the players returned the following year. So teams knew each other's strengths and weaknesses a little bit more. So actually, the the average score actually was a little bit less than last year. But that's also because players being able to learn from past seasons. Higher contests, yes. Yeah, and you know they had like videos and analysis done and just what we've seen in the men's game. So definitely strategic-wise, in terms of evolution, I mean... It's really on the rise. I think one of the other big points coming from last year to this year's Big Bash season is that now we have those games streamed live. I was talking to some of the, the women and some of the players and just having those games stream live mean that they can train better because they can see Sophie Devine and what shots she likes to play rather than just hearing about it. They can prepare themselves that way. And, you know, we've got Indian players here now, which who would have thought that would have happened before? So I think it's growing and it's definitely, you know, a peg up from last year, definitely. And Brit, one thing I found amazing at the games was the amount of interest from kids and mm. spectators with the women's players wanting to get their autographs, desperate to meet these stars that they've seen on the field. And I just think they're fantastic role models for young women and anyone, men, women, but just to see the way they've been accepted into the fans' hearts is just really great to see. And it's really important to get 
young kids knowing other people's names other than Meg Lanning and Elise Perry. There's a reason they know those names because they have been so good for so long and good on them. They've, they're fantastic players. But we need younger kids to to understand that there is an Ash Gardner or a Sarah Ailey or an Alex Blackwell or a Deandra Dotton that they could possibly... Yeah, there's plenty of other names that they can aspire to be like Yeah, it's a a great point because some of the girls, I think Erin Burns from Hobart Hurricane sort of made that point. She said, growing up, playing backyard cricket, if I wanted to bowl fast, the girls, they were still trying to be like Brett Lee. Yeah, well, a lot of their, you know, the people they looked up to are men, yes. Yeah, but nowadays, you know, you've got someone bowling quick. I think Amy Satterthwaite from Hurricanes talk about, you know, girls in New Zealand sort of looking up to someone like Leah Tahuhu, who bowled the fastest delivery at 128 kilometres She's a menacing player, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, they've got heroes to look up to who are from the women's game rather than just saying, oh, I want to be like Brett Lee or Mitchell Stark. So it's, it's that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, a thrilling conclusion to the WBBL and I think we should just thank the cricket gods for a great BBL and WBBL season and uh, when's it, we just start counting down till December when it all starts again <laughs> but between now and the BBL there's a lot of cricket for the Australian team and Gav now we turn our attention to your heritage and a place heritage. you'll be heading very soon <laughs> is to India and the looming test series there Australia have four tests and to paint a picture of how bad Australia have gone in India historically we've only ever won five series there and four of those were before 1979 so most of them in the early days of Indian cricket so it does not augur well for this tour now Gav for start are there any significant omissions from the Australian touring party what's your take yeah I think put your selectors hat on I, 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 I think we're just missing one really out-and-out quick bowler. I just don't know who that is. There's talk- so they've taken, what, Hazelwood, Stark and Bird. You yeah. think they should have taken one more? Well, I, I don't know about Jackson Bird. 130 clicks an hour. Watch a lot of cricket over there. You need someone who's got a sort of a whippy action, who's bolts at over 100. What about Ben Cutting? Sorry? What about Ben Cutting? Well, I just think he's, he's more of a hit-to-deck bowler. And we just... The Indian pitchers just negate that because it, you, the ball's not going to uh, you know, rise above your waist. You need someone who's really quick through the air. Ideally, James Pattinson, but fitness injuries. Why we're not taking Pat Cummins there, I'm not sure. Uh, yes, he hasn't played a shield game. I understand all that. But you just have to bank on these guys. I mean, in India, it's not fast bowlers bowl those eight, nine-over spells or six-over spells. It's just a three-over burst. Then you go downfield at fine leg come back and bowl another three-over burst. That's just how cricket and You make it bowlers. sound so simple. Well, I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to be positive. Well, the selectors are working on a theory where they might send someone over halfway through the tour, like a Pat and Sonora Cummins, try but and get why? them why? Why not shield. just send your full strength from the start? Yeah, I agree. And also, you know, you want them over there acclimatising, getting used to the tour and the conditions. So I think they were one player short there. What about, say, Swepson? I think that was like a lamb to the slaughter. This poor kid is going to go over there the, and face the best players of spin bowling in the world and get absolutely torn to pieces. Well, d- d- does he play a test match? That's the first thing. Uh, there's talk about Adam Zampa. The only thing I see, Zampa's got experience in those conditions, but Adam Zampa still, to me, bowls that one really bad ball in about, say, the 15 deliveries. Well, I don't think Swepson does. From what I've seen him during the A-Tour and the Big Bash, I think he's a lot more accurate, but he just hasn't got experience in those conditions. Whether they play him, I very much doubt it. I think they'll just go stick with those finger spinners. 
but you're right. But who else is there? Well, what about Farwad Far- Ahmed? Yeah, I think he would have been a great call. I mean, coming from those conditions, his experience, he was brought up over there and sort of playing in Pakistan. He took four wickets in a big bash match. In the big, he's got a the very, night before the party was announced, almost. Yeah, yeah. and a very good record as well in in you know in Shield cricket and my over thing the last with three Ahmed years. Is if he goes there and it doesn't work out. Well, it's not going to scar him. That's right, yeah. Whereas if Swepson goes there and does a Bryce McGain and goes none for 400 in his <laughs> test debut, then he'll, he'll sort of go back with his tail between his legs. So I don't know about that one. Johnny Holland's another one who – I know you don't rate John Holland. You've well, said in the past, Gab, but his shield record is outstanding. Yeah, but after, after – I was speaking to John Holland during the A Tour and after he'd come back from Sri Lanka, and he talked about – Name dropper. <laughs> that <laughs> – Gone to India, it's about changing your action as a finger spinner. And to change your action is so hard. You need to practice for about, say, three or four weeks where it becomes a natural process. Not when you're at top of the mark saying, remember, you've got to lower your arm. Once you think about lowering your arm as you're coming into bowl, you're thinking about not where you're going to bowl it, but about your action, and you've lost. So he says, you know, and he reckoned that he was leading towards that. So it was a great insight. Whether so you should take him. He's had that experience. Well, Why don't you take him? If well, O'Keefe gets injured again. Well, yeah, O'Keefe. And can Ashton Agar do that role? I'm not probably sure. Probably not. Yeah, so, Are you happy a- with the squad, Britt? Oh, I would have taken Adam Samper personally, but I might be a bit biased coming from a St. George Sutherland club. <laughs> so, yeah, I just think he's got that experience at Australian level already. Yeah. And uh, he had some incredible figures in the latest game he played. So that doesn't really make sense to me, but I'm not an Australian selector, so I'm not really... Sounds like you <laughs> don't should I think be. I'm qualified. <laughs> and, and finally, Gav, where do you sit on the Wade v. Peter Neville wicket-keeping debate? It's sort of divided the cricket community. I think Matthew Wade is the right choice in terms of batting in India. I know his form doesn't warrant it at the moment, but I think he'll sweep a lot, and Indian spinners don't like that. So I think from that perspective, I think it's a right choice. Neville's keeping, ever since he was dropped in Hobart, it seems like it's affected his confidence. Yes. Um, And I think that's been a little bit unfair to him. I think he's better behind the stumps. But just going on the recent forms... Even in the big bash, his keeping wasn't... He did cop a bat to the head. Yeah. I mean, come on. Poor guy. Well, he didn't come out and keep after that. So, um, But I think it was unfair. So I think they're on the right track. I think you need someone who can score runs against spinners. And I think Matthew Wade, he even showed that in that Sri Lanka series uh, in the one days where he just comes out and sweeps every this ball. Coley dances down to the pitch, gets beaten in flight. Wade misses it. And then he goes on and he's 250 not out at stumps. Coley hasn't been beaten in flight for about three years. <laughs> so I'm actually looking forward to, him, to seeing him play most, more than the Australian people. <laughs> well, Britt, how are you about this tour? Are, like, are you someone that's very optimistic about our chances in India or, or like me, you resigned to a defeat? Uh, I'm a I'm a big stats person, so the fact that they're all banking up against us doesn't help. But I'm I'd like to say I'm always an optimist too. So you're a bit of both. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a bit of both. Um, I just think that India have been so good leading up to this, and it's going to be really, really tough. But everyone knows that, really. I just love that you said you're a big cricket stats person. That's, that's going <laughs> to endear yourself person. to the listeners very highly. So Gav, you're our Indian expert. I want you to help me out. How we- if Australia can win the series, how would it happen? Forget all the negativity. Can we talk about winning a test match first? No, no, no. How series? can Australia win this series? It, what needs to go right for us to come home with the Border Gavaskar Trophy? 
Well, somehow, what happened in 2004 when there's a dispute amongst BCCI officials... And the top 24 players aren't available. Uh, or we get, and during that series, we got an absolute green seamer in Nagpur, and we were able to rattle the Indians, some of them, some of their players, like Sarah Ganguly even refused to play on it, and he pulled out. So I doubt that's going to happen. The other part is how we can win a test match. I think the script is if we score 400, 450, we win the toss, and then... While India can, you know, they've been so good under pressure batting second, but I just feel their fire is sort of, Rahani hasn't been in great form, Ashwin at six, their wicketkeeper at number eight. Stark needs to get on a roll and just go through that six, seven, eight. With the reverse swing, the reverse late swing. innings. And then suddenly, if we restrict India and lead by 100 runs, Kohli's captaincy is even if they set India, say, 200 to win, on a fifth-day wicket. Coley's not that captain who will say, we're going to defend, we're going for runs. It's almost like an Australian sort of attitude. And if that happens, you know, India might play those extra shots. So you're saying if we get on top, maybe Coley's game won't be suited to playing from behind in a match? But, well, he hasn't been, Well, they haven't been tested in that. And I, I don't know if we can get into that situation. That's the big challenge. We've seen England mount up, you know, 450, and they put in India on the back foot. But India was so good, they scored 700 and 500. And once India go ahead of the game, even with a 50-60 run lead, it's going to be tough. So work. you can't paint a picture. That's what you're saying. At well, the moment, I you painted can't you a picture of how we can win. 450 in front and bowl them out. Well, if we score 450, we'd start through the middle, get about a 100 run lead. And then even if we falter in our sort of third innings of the match, even if our lead is around 200, 250, trust us to bowl India out. Would you have Matt Renshaw up the top of the order? Yep, I would. Yep, he's got nothing to lose at the moment. India hasn't seen a lot of him. We don't know. They don't know how that he plays against spin. He might, you know, bring out the sweep shots and so forth. First two tests, I think, yep, play him. See how he goes. See, I think that's crazy. I think we've seen in the past Australia takes performances in Australia and hopes they'll replicate that on the subcontinent. I think we need to pick a totally different batting order. I'd have... Who had had Warner and Shaw Marsh opening, Smith at three, Hanscom at four, Maxwell at five. You sort of got five good players of spin at the top of the order. But again, you're saying good players of spin. How, I mean, good players of spin in Australia doesn't mean are good players well, of spin. Ma- Marsh has I mean, done well on the Michael subcontinent. Clark, Smith has done well, well on Michael the subcontinent. Michael Clark is regarded the, probably the best spinner, uh, player of spin in the last 10, 15 years. And Michael Clark's record in India is only averaging 33. So what are we basing that on? It's a different skill. Maxwell lives there Max- two months every year. But his IPL record in the last two years is pathetic. Uh, yeah, I think he'll come good, though. He, he knows the conditions. Look, you've got to be able to keep a good ball out with defence. And Maxwell doesn't have that. Well, I think he he does. And Hanscom, the, the interesting one, because he's unproven over there. But everyone's speculating that with his technique, it will be suited for the subcontinent. So that's a real a bit of a mystery. Look, good players for spin bowling, all I can say in India, play off the back foot. Now, if we can adapt to doing that, I think we'll go... Yeah, but back to Renshaw. Like, Renshaw's going to go over there, fail, and then get dropped again. What, so... what makes you think he's going to fail? England played Keaton Jennings in the first test match in Mumbai. He plays a reverse sweep of the fourth or, like, 14th ball he faces against spin. I think third ball of Ashwin. And he goes on to get 100. Why are we thinking in such a negative frame of mind? I'm scarred from Sri Lanka, obviously. <laughs> I'm very scarred. What about the spinners? Do you think it'll be Lyon or O'Keefe that has to carry the torch? Um, O'Keefe. 
he has to play the holding job and then Nathan Lyon can attack. If India get top of O'Keefe, I think we're in a bit of trouble. Uh, Lyon, if you look at his stats, even when he gets those fifers, he normally concedes 100 runs or 125 runs. That's great when our batters put up a total of, say, 400 or 500. But if our batters only score 250, 300, you know, that if Lyon, even if he gets five for 150, chances are India are a good 200 runs ahead of us. So I think O'Keefe's a big role. O'Keefe holds one end. You can attack with Stark, Hazelwood, whoever, from the other end. O'Keefe was really impressive at the SCG against Pakistan, and you just think he can replicate that type of bowling on an Indian wicket, he'll be really difficult to play. Yeah, and India's going to have a lot of right-handers. I don't think they have a, a left-hander in their top six or seven, uh, which means it's about the ball spinning away, you know, getting it into pitch, getting it accurate. Um, so I think he'll play a more of an important role than Nathan Lyon. Nathan Lyon, I think, has to attack. Yeah, and, and I think it's going to be a big test for Steve Smith. You know, he can't just say, if India's off to say none for 50, goes to Nathan Lyon, he concedes 20 of his first two overs. He cannot just revert back to his pace bowlers. He's got to stick with Lyon and let the spinners do the job. He's got to trust them more. Well, Gav, any prediction for the series then? Because you won't be on the podcast. <laughs> oh, you're not preparing to have me i'll call you when you're over there but uh, what do you what do you think what's your do you think it'll I, be? i just have this feeling that we're going to win a test match but that won't be good enough to win the series unfortunately two one three one whether darren Charla, the weather might play a role depends kind of pitches let's go with two one like it uh, that's pretty India. good yeah it's pretty good. I, i've been very optimistic. i still think we can win a test match good to hear one thing I love about the Indian tour is you get home from work and you've almost got a full day's test cricket to watch. So <laughs> despite the fact that Australia might be getting pummeled, for a cricket tra- cricket tragic like you, it's going to be cricket at work all day and then cricket at night when you get home. Yeah, that's very true, although I really need to get some sleep after the big bash in the tennis. It's, <laughs> it's a bit ridiculous, really. But, yeah, I love the... the, the um, the matchup of the the time zones works for us too, and you can come home and watch dinner. I'm oh, sorry, eat dinner and watch it with it. It's like the big bash is still here almost. Yeah, exactly, and it's going to be pretty vibrant over there. So that's Gav's little look ahead to the Indian series. Now we're going to take a quick break, and before we do that, I want to go through the Have a Go Your Mug promotion. Now, if you can go onto iTunes and leave a review to the show then you will go in the draw for a Have A Go Your Mug Mug. Now, I gave Brit her Have A Go Your Mug Mug for coming on the show. But you go on to or whatever app you listen to the show, leave a review and uh, you will go in the draw for a Have A Go Your Mug Mug. If you want to subscribe to the show on Patreon for $5 a month or more, you will get a mug straight away. Now, this week, actually, we just had one entrant. And last week, uh, if you've listened to the show, you know that the winner was uh, pretty scathing in his assessment of some aspects of this show. But the winner this week, Peter, was the only entrant. Gets a mug. Um, Well done, Peter. Your mug will be on its way. So send me your address. And to the listeners out there, if you haven't already done, please go on to the Castaway Podcast Awards and vote for the show in the popular vote. If you can, you have to log in, I think, to vote. But if you can take the time to do that, I just want to move us sort of up the table. I don't think we're going to catch Brit's Ladies Who Leg Spin podcast is well up the top there, but maybe we can get close um, to the popular vote category. And we'll be back in a moment. I think the Australians probably feel that this is their big chance. One of the great fast bowlers of all time has the ball in his hand. He is roaring in now at the Habajan Singh. Oh, he's got it away. This will be it. 
He'll come back for the second. India have won the test match. India have won the series. You're listening to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm here with Gav and Britt. And it's now to the most popular segment in the show, the commentary <laughs> critique. Everyone loves it. And Britt, to get the ball rolling, who are your top three favourite cricket commentators? This is really easy for me. Yeah, um, you say yourself, since you've done no. a lot of the WBB or streaming. <laughs> Probably wouldn't class myself as a, a, a commentator as such. I've done some of it. Would love to do more. My top three are Alison Mitchell. Obvious reasons, I think. <laughs> Jim Maxwell and also Mel Jones, who's emerged as a great commentator this summer with all her work in Cricket Australia streaming and then on the Channel 10 coverage as well. Well, three classic commentators. Alison Mitchell, groundbreaking commentator. Jim Maxwell, one of the voices of Australian cricket. Yeah. And Mel Jones, fast becoming the leading female commentator in this country. And I might be a little bit biased because we've used them all on Grandstand this summer. So. <laughs> Sorry about that, but that's just the case. No, they are my favourite. <laughs> who's your favourite commentator of the summer, Gav? Mel Jones, by far. I think, I mean, just the improvement. This podcast is so PC now, honestly. <laughs> it, it, no, seriously. Like, I've, you know, I've listened to Mel in the IPL last year. She does a lot of the Southern Stars and up, but she's fantastic. Like, her Channel 10 commentary is just so refreshing. Um, she knows about the, the game. I like her voice. As a commentator, I think you've got to it's have a... It's a smooth, dis- like, relaxed yeah. voice, isn't and it? And yeah. you've got to have it, it... Distinctively, it stands out. When you have the radio on, when Jim's on, you know that's Jim. Yeah. Um, it's similar. Like, now you just have the TV on, and now you you start to recognise that, you know, Mel Jones's voice. And I think she's terrific, and she knows how to interact with people as well. Um, there's a bit of, bit of laugh in, in between as well. She reads the game well. She's experienced. She travels around the world to watch cricket, and I think that's very important for a commentator. And, uh, look, I mean, you know, I think she's not only the most my favourite commentator, but I think she's definitely the most improved commentator by a country mile. Mm. Well, big raps there. Any commentators that annoy you, Gav? Oh, there's plenty that do, Menace, but... Um, Give me a couple. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I look, I mean, Ian Healy, I mean, he jokes around, but you just got to sort of live with it in a way and say, you know... The, uh, the thing that disappoints me about Healy is he gets on the bandwagon and all so forth, which is perfectly fine. But when Healy actually talks technical, he's so good to listen to. But he just sort of goes away from that. Maybe that's his role, but... He's someone who annoys me. Mark Wall, yeah. I thought he had a rough summer in yeah, the commentary box in the Big Bash. Don't you think, Brett, he, he copped it early on with some <laughs> sledging? And then I don't think he ever really recovered from that early onslaught by Punter. Yeah. And KP got into him as well. So he got it from everybody. I think KP got into everyone, didn't he? <laughs> um, what did you think of Andrew Simons and Darren Lehman in the commentary box? I was a fan of Andrew Simons. I th- I was a fan of him too. I thought he was great. Yeah. I think he just adds that. And for T- very dry, laconic. Yeah, and you need that for T Twenty cricket. I think you just all can't be serious. I think you need to be interactive. You know, and him talking about different like you know, his boating accidents to everything, and he just comes. What about co- when he stepped in the paint or he knocked yeah, the paint? Yeah, <laughs> paint over. Like I mean, that's Andrew Simons. You know, he's out of the square, and I, I didn't mind it. But and actually, surprisingly, when he actually starts talking about cricket you realize that especially about the fielding aspects and so forth and the power game you realize that this guy really thought about his game a fair bit you know it might not come across that when you look at him from the outside but from the inside i mean i mean he had enormous trust from ricky ponting that's telling something about the man as well 
What about you, Britt? Are there any commentators that you might just switch the dial over or turn the volume down when they come on? <laughs> well, he talked, you just mentioned, up, uh, mentioned Darren Lehman before. I actually didn't find him that interesting to listen to and I was really surprised. I didn't really have any expectations because I haven't actually, I've listened to press conferences, but that's a totally different thing. And maybe it was because I read Brett Jeeves' pieces leading up to his commentary stint, but I didn't think he actually added that much. And maybe that's because he's not, a, you know, watching the Big Bash as much as some of the other people because he's following the Australian team around and doing what he has to do with them. But yeah, I just didn't think he had a lot to add. Is, I is think Brett Jeeves' pre- article the the article of the summer? Oh, I think so. I think you'd have to say so. It's only got the everyone talking about it, well, tongues the, wagging. Well, so well to he speak. hit the nail on the head about a few things as well. And I think that was true honesty that came out. And sometimes, you know, you talk about press conferences and so forth. And, you know, people are sort of reserved and sort of almost trained to say what they want or what they can. You know, someone coming out and I thought it was terrific. And some of the analogies were really good too. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot of merit to what he's saying about the sort of way that people move up the system in cricket. And uh, I think we've touched on it before. You know, there's certain coaches say Trent Woodhill's been on the show here. You know, the fact that he hasn't played for Australia has probably affected his career path. So I think there's some genuine issues there that need to be looked at. But back to you about Darren Lehman. I agree with you, Britt, actually. I thought Buff felt the pressure. Mm-hmm. And I think... Mm-hmm. Any one of us here would when you you know now the Big Bash coverage has such high expectations. People, it's you know in the press how good Gilly and Punter and Fleming do, and then you know there's going to be a million plus people the watching. The thing is, every those night. people don't take themselves too seriously. If someone sledges them, they they go along with it, or they you know they fire back. Whereas I think the article had been released that morning before Darren Lehman came on for his first stint or his second stint, and. Yeah, I think he you could sort of tell he was on edge the whole time for me. I felt like someone was going to bring it up sooner rather than later and I just didn't think he ebbed and flowed with the other commentators as well. Yeah, that, that way you've got to get credit Mark Moore because he's part of the selection panel and he comes on and he says, well, not says whatever he likes, but he's got to be reserved. But he seems to get away with it. While Darren Lehman, you know, as you mentioned, he had to be sort of be very aware of what words are coming out of his mouth. And, you know, the commentators that will try do that to you, they'll sort of how he will try get that answer out of yeah. Darren Lehman. Well, Mark was sometimes happy to give it. Uh, but Darren Lehman, especially being a coach, is different being a selector, I guess. Yeah, sometimes Mark Ward is caught in a little bit of a difficult position. You can tell he, he finds it hard. To, to say opinions about players because it gets thrown back at him in the coverage. But I thought uh, Mark Wall struggled this year. But overall, Channel 10 did another great job covering the Big Bash. Oh, fantastic. What do you think about the possibility of Channel 10 losing the rights and Channel 9 or Channel 7 perhaps swooping in and taking the tournament? I think that would be really sad from my point of view. Yeah, I agree. I think Channel 10 have done a fantastic job of building the competition and they've done a fantastic job for the women's too in the fact that they've treated it exactly the same. They've had a lot of the same, you know, standard when it comes to production and the producers they use on it and some of the commentators as well. So I think it would be a shame to see it move to another network after all that they've done to build it up. Yeah, I totally agree. Absolutely. I think Channel 10, I think they've got the right team around them as well, yeah. as you mentioned, whether that's production team, commentary I think team. The, the reason they do it so well is 
they don't have the gimmicky aspect about it, if you yeah. know what I mean. Like, they, they take it for what it is. Yeah. So, uh, things that emerge, like the seagull getting hit by the ball and then yeah. it becoming a mascot, you know, that's funny and they replay it and they run off the back of those moments, but they don't try and create those gimmicks themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Like the watermelon boy and so yeah. forth like that. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it just it, it, happens. It's terrific. And, it, you, and T20 needs that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the interaction between the fans, the commentators and the game. And that's what T20 cricket is about. You... You know, you're a massive baseball fan. Is it similar to that? It is a little bit, and I think what happens is, like baseball, when when the big bash is on every night, you build a relationship with these commentators. You know, yes. you just like feel comfortable hearing them. So I think if it were to go to another network, they have to take those commentators with them because mm. Gilly Fleming. Ponting War—they're all integral now to the coverage of the Big Bash. Well, that's it for our commentary critique this week. Uh, excellent work, and let's wrap this podcast up with a segment. It's a new segment, but a very popular segment in any cricket show, and it's called Quick Singles, where we're just going to smash through some news. In the last week, we had the Allen Border Medal, cricket's Night of Nights. Uh, Mark Nicholas is off ill, so Michael Slater was the host. I was really surprised David Warner won. I thought Steve Smith is clearly the AB medalist. I think I heard some podcasts presenting Steve Smith the AB medal before he'd even won it. (laughs) Big mistake. (laughs) Um, What happened there? Yeah, I was surprised as well. I thought, I mean, you know, there was talk about Mitchell Stark as well with his phenomenal performances, but you've got to remember he missed the World T20 last year as well, and he probably hasn't had the best summer or what we probably expected of Stark. Uh, Slow start. (laughs) So I I, I was a little bit surprised. I still think Steve Smith should have got the, uh, well, Alan Border medal. Do you guys watch the Alan Border medal? No. I watched a bit of it, yeah. Because it is real cricket tragic viewing. I can't believe it's the 18th Alan Border medal. I just... I just they just fly by Can every you, year. Uh, list all those, mention all those winners. Well, no, but I, I think those iconic moments of what Slater up on the stage with the glass of wine, and you know, in the early days when you had Richie Benno there, and they used to go through each yeah. match and the countbacks. It's sort of changed now, but I oh, still they treated enjoy. it like the Brownlow, did they? What they treated it? Yeah, like they the used Brownlow. to do it like the Brownlow. Right. I find it is one of those events that you are better off recording. And, like, I had to fast forward through Matt Hayden's speech because it was a little bit too reverential for me. <laughs> uh, Booney's speech was great, though. I thought Booney was excellent. Yeah, Booney's last year, I think Tomo did one last year, which yep. was sensational. So, yeah, I think it's good to have those, you know, older players go and talk about the game during their era. It always just, you know, breaks the room breaks out into a bit of a chuckle. There's always nostalgia. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we had Warner, the ODI and AB medalist, Stark, the test player, Meg Lanning with the Belinda Clark Award, and who can forget Shane Watson being <laughs> the best T20 player for Australia in the last year. Good to see Watto getting a, another award in the twilight of his career. More news uh, this week. Darren Lehman, speaking of Darren Lehman, sent a tweet about Kevin Peterson saying that he shouldn't be retained from the stars. And I think... Darren Lehman needs the little Twitter bar. Like, someone needs to... <laughs> Screen tw- his tweets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's got a bit of Donald Trump about him. There? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You, you, you probably got our you know, impression of it with that laugh. So yeah, I just thought, thought that was really ill-advised, and it didn't make sense. It's been deleted now. The, the other thing that passed, I think, everyone by, and Britt being a massive stat head, a cricket stat head, <laughs> will love this. The last week has seen the highest ever partnership 
in one day cricket for an Australian pair. Now, I don't know how this slipped through the, the, the fingers of cricket watchers. Maybe the BBL just was too dizzying for everyone. But Travis Head and David Warner put on 284 runs to start the innings in the last one day or against Pakistan. So it's the highest ever partnership in a one day game, beating Smith and Warner's famous 260 against cricket juggernauts Afghanistan in the last World Cup. So, <laughs> did you guys see that? What an amazing partnership. Yeah, I mean, Warner and, and, and Travis Head opening the batting as well. Came at Adelaide Oval. Great great for Travis Head to get a you know a big innings like that under his belt as well. Hollow record, though, against that Pakistan side, isn't that? Well, didn't you would you get... rather have it against uh, Pakistan or Af- Afghanistan? Yeah, that's true. It's, well, Afghanistan, probably better fielding team than Pakistan <laughs> from what we've seen over the last couple of weeks. But, uh, look, it's, it's a phenomenal achievement. And this is what I mean. Because we have so much cricket being played. Yeah, certain... we're desensitised a little bit, Absolutely. aren't we? Yeah. I mean, this is it's a tremendous record. I mean, 200 for an opening wicket. With two should, new... should have had more attention paid to it. I didn't even know it happened. So that just t- shows you that it's not really... The big bash um, is taken over, lauded. that's why. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't think it's a long-term partnership, though, Head and Warner. I don't know why they've gone two left-handers. and I just, Head doesn't seem to be a natural fit for the top of the order. No, he, I probably wouldn't say that either. Yeah, he doesn't, but, I mean, what are the options at the moment? You know, Aaron <laughs> Maxwell. Maxwell's Sorry, been too long with Yeah, Paul. Maxwell's the solution for everything for Menas here. <laughs> I know plenty of other people that that have that him as their main solution as well. So that was the end of the uh, ODI series versus Pakistan. Australia wrapped it up 4-1. That partnership being the highlight of that final game. And uh, now the Aussies are in New Zealand. And I guess um, in the next show we'll wrap up the Chapel Hadley Trophy. But a couple of big news from that. Sam Heaslett was a surprise call-up for the Australian one-day side. I was really impressed watching him for the Brisbane Heat. I thought he's a really good, clean striker. The ball has done well at ODI and first-class level for Queensland. So I think a really good call, but caught a lot of people by surprise and probably puts an end to George Bailey's one-day career. Yeah, I mean, should he be playing? I mean, he hasn't played a one-day game for Queensland. So to be brought in straight into the one-day team for Australia... It's a bit odd. It is a bit odd. And and there are other players who've been striving it out, you know, in domestic, like Curtis Patterson. I mean, he's, he was terrific form during the Metador Cup. Great Maxi during, Klinger. Maxi Klinger. I mean, yes, he might... Selectors might feel like he's past the expiry date, but why not Curtis Patterson? He was within a whisker of playing... Uh, test cricket for Australia. He's been opening the batting. He's had a great shield season, 21, 22 years of age. I thought that was the choice. I think they've just picked the wrong bloke. Didn't Dutchie Holland make his debut really late? And He got an OAM this week. So yeah. <laughs> there's a link there. You probably have used Michael Klinger. Yeah, I think Sammy Heaslett is... His selection shows the influence of Greg Chappell, the new selector who's really pushing youth. Uh, yeah, strange call, but he's a really good player and a star of the future. So it'll be good experience for him. And finally, after all the hubbub about Matthew Wade being named as Australian captain, he woke up on the morning <laughs> of the first one day with a back spasm and Aaron Finch has had to step in as keep as skipper was sacked, and, and, well just couldn't find a place in the team yeah and then peter hanscom is taking the glove so we've seen that a how good it is having peter hanscom there who can keep at the last minute and i tell you finch wouldn't have survived 50 overs behind the stumps keeping that's for sure <laughs> his back would have been in spasms tomorrow but uh yeah tumultuous uh start to the series for australia yeah, and those 10 minutes leading up to toss this morning, it was just all chaotic because, you know, who's going to captain, who's going to keep, who's going to be the player that's going to 
sort of come into we the might scene. have had in keeping just flown over there out yeah of, out of retirement well, keeping yeah, exactly <laughs> who knows it could have happened yeah, well i think we'll leave the podcast there but i always enjoy the chapel hadley trophy so it'll be good to keep an eye on this week as you say Britt, it's a good way of just getting over cricket just weaning yourself off it slowly i sure. quite like when we play new zealand i went to the yeah. the game at the scg when we had the chapel hadley trophy here Traditional yeah, I, rivals. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We love our trans-Tasman rivals and they're such nice players, aren't they? We, we got that a lot last year. Brendan McCullum and a lot of the New Zealand folk are, are very nice players, but they've also got a similar style to us as well, so I like seeing that match up there. They're good, aggressive cricket. Yeah, I mean, I, I love having the game played at Eden Park, you know, where... You know. It's like a huge rugby thing for Australia to go there, isn't it? So I wonder how the guys felt going there for cricket today. We've got today. more chance of winning in cricket, that's for sure. <laughs> It's a coliseum, and you you just see the New Zealand crowd really give it to our players, and you know to be able to win over there, it's just so exciting. I actually, as you mentioned, you know I like having Australia play over in New Zealand and beat them over there. Yeah, there's a lot more satisfaction. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, listeners, thanks so much for downloading the Australian Cricket Podcast this week, Brit. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. I hope we can have you again sometime. Oh, I'd love to. It's been great sitting here with all the cricket memorabilia around us. I'm just looking at it all. It's fascinating. <laughs> yep, yeah. I've got a cricket, an Australian jersey up there from Tim May, an Australian helmet. Um, it's a vest, though. It's not a jersey, is it? It's a, yeah, it's it's a, a, it's a very a good vest. vest. He, he gave it to me oh. after his drop from the Aussie team and then was called up for New Zealand and turned up in New Zealand one jumper short and you need it over there. <laughs> yeah, so. nice war here. I think the Australian um, team's going to be training in some of these in Dubai. Just, just to, to get, get used, used to the, to the weather heat. conditions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Visual for podcast doesn't work, but well done, Gav. Gav, thanks. <laughs> Welcome back to the show and goodbye. You're heading off to Dubai. Then you, you sacked in, me. Well... I'll be calling you over there, but I won't have the pleasure of your company in person. Enjoy your travels. I will do it. Thanks Sounds fun having... being a freelance cricket journalist, Melbourne, yeah. Dubai, Chasing India. Chasing the summer constantly, never yeah, dealing ch- with our winters. Yeah, exactly. But no, you miss the football. You just want to go and uh, come pack, around. Pack me in the suitcase next yeah, time, mate. End of May, I think um, I'll be away for four months. I'll also do the IPL, as I always do. And maybe Champions Trophy, so I might not be back till July, man. Oh, you're breaking my heart, Gav. Well, I've got Brit now, so (laughs) she'll help me through. (laughs) Listeners, thanks again for downloading the show, and we'll be back next week. What a marvellous stroke. He's played no better shot than that in the whole of the series. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.